In this episode, we're going to talk about National Preparedness Month, in addition to the literature and links that we'll have in the show notes, as well as what will be getting posted every few days on our social media accounts. I'll be giving you a few tips and ideas about how to survive September. Some of these are just general good ideas for everyday preparedness. Some are just how to survive ongoing situations and disruptions that are happening right now across the country. What are the things you can do better? What are the things you should start? Where do I find this information? How does preparedness even matter? And what's that got to do with the gray man? That's what we're going to talk about right here on Gray Man Hiding in Plain Sight. Welcome to episode 37 of the Gray Man Show. This should answer some questions with the intro I've received is why I've kind of talked a little bit more about preparedness lately. And it wasn't just due to weather or hurricanes coming. It was because National Preparedness Month's coming. And it's a month I tend to enjoy and share information with people on how to be more prepared for anything that might happen to them. Down in the show notes, I got a link we just put in that I'm going to have coming up on social media tomorrow. Gives you a basic four-week plan off ready.gov. That's very good information for anybody, but it's really great for people that are just starting out or haven't put a lot of time and effort or have the knowledge on how to be better prepared. When you go to that link, you'll see they have a basic four-week plan. Each week has a theme, which is make a plan, build a kit, prepare for disasters, and teach youth about preparedness. When you click on those weekly links, you'll notice that it has a basic description with a few links or ideas, but to the right, it'll be highlighted with a drop-down list of all their subcategories, which has tons of information on all kinds of subjects that may matter to you. Somewhere in there, everybody's going to find some useful information, and I definitely think you should check that out. I'll be taking pieces of that website, certain areas to highlight, and putting them out either as notes or links every few days over this month just to give you some more good information. But I'll try not to overwhelm the social media or definitely not the podcast with just focusing on preparedness. I just thought this would be a good culmination podcast talking about preparedness and giving you a few tips and ideas One of the things I want to point out right away for preparedness, and I definitely think if you're anywhere near a city or anywhere near protests or riots or potentially will be, something you should add to your preparedness to your EDC kit is a very simple item that I want to explain. This is not the first time I've heard this, and I meant to share this a while back, but I got a buddy who runs a business that it used to be just him. Now he sends people all over the country and they do inspections for DHS, government agencies, and big businesses. All that has to do with imported goods and their hazmat professionals. It has to do with checking and certifying things to make sure the hazmat's allowed to come in. Some of it's chemical and biological agents. He's worked with different law enforcement agencies all over the country. So what these guys have done, and I'll tell you one particular story he just told me today, but he's told me this before. It just keeps happening. He had this individual in Washington State, and he had a contract pop up in Portland, which is just south of Washington, for those who don't know. So he decided to take his rental car and go on down there. So the last town in Washington is called Vancouver, and you drive over this big bridge over the Columbia River into Portland. So he's driving over, and he's looking down in Portland. He's like, man, it's not on fire. You know, I'm not seeing all the stuff I'm seeing on the news. But he didn't realize he was nowhere near the downtown area. So he got to see some of that as he went downtown and got his hotel. So after he gets his hotel, his first appointment he had was later in the evening when people are already out protesting and rioting and doing all these things. So he calls his Uber because that was easier to get than a taxi. And when he goes down there, both these individuals, I believe, are black, at least the driver was. And the driver pointed out, based on where you want to go, you're right in the center of all this stuff's been happening. 
So I'm just going to let you know the first sign of trouble. Or if there's too many people out there, I'm going to have to drop you off early. I just want to let you know now I'm not going in there. And he pointed that out because he was black. He was very liberal. But he said, just the fact that I'm in a car trying to get through that area, they'll pull me out and beat the crap out of me, which I thought was pretty sad. But that's the state of things today. But aside from that, he said that was fine. And when they got down there, they were about two blocks shy. And he said, look, I got to let you out here. There's way too many people. And he said, no problem. So how did he get through there safely? Well, one of the things he's been doing underneath his clothes is wearing a black t-shirt. In fact, this guy's employees going all over the country are all wearing black t-shirts under their clothes. And the reason they do it is they have to go into these downtown areas and just having a plain black t-shirt makes it where people look at them and look away and don't even notice. And a lot of that has to do with the social media stuff where they just post a black square to support Black Lives Matter. All I'm saying is regardless of your political beliefs, regardless of what you're doing, a black t-shirt is a very simple item. I would at least have available, if not as an undershirt, depending on your situation, your clothing, what you're doing. So that if you find yourself in one of these situations, a simple, cheap black t-shirt from like Walmart might be the game changer in maintaining your safety just to walk a couple of blocks. Something else I want to point out is if you go to that website, ready.gov, or you go anywhere, you start creating digital files, plans, documents. Maybe you already have stuff that's digital. Maybe you're photographing, inventorying important items or digitizing important documents, which I totally support. I think people should digitize their insurance agreements, their lease agreements, any document you think you could ever need for insurance or to claim insurance or to go to court. Anything that has to do with property, anything that has to do with medical family stuff, I think should all be digitized, but I also think you should have hard copies. One of the things I do, I suggest to people is have some sort of external PDF reader. Now, there's a lot of options out there. One of the things I use, I'm not sure if I've talked about this on the podcast before. I know I have on YouTube is the Nook. I have like two or three of the original Nooks, but the first and second generations for sure were a simple black and white reader. Battery life, you know, if you were just using it constantly, could last up to a month or two. Granted, if it sits there without being charged, eventually the battery will die. Very simple e-readers. What I liked about the Nook over the one that Amazon had was it had a external memory, a simple SD card that you could put in there. I think at the time it was rated as only 64, 32 megabytes, but I have 128s of mine and it registers them. It sees them. What I like about the Nook personally is when I plug it in, it looks like a thumb drive. It just looks like a hard drive. Any digital files I have, I convert to PDF, which is great because they tend to take up less space, at least for the stuff I use. Then I can drag and drop and create file folders in there that I can view on the Nook later. So it's just like organizing a thumb drive, but I have that external reader. The reason I have that as part of my preparedness, is it's no different than that external thumb drive, which I do have. So I have notebooks of hard file information, some at the house, some I keep locked up in secure locations, and with them I keep a digital copy of the thumb drive. I do that. But what I like about this reader is, if I need to leave right now, even though I have backup files and I can get them off the internet, assuming the internet still exists, you know, it's not some crazy event. If I need to find something, I have it on that nook. It might take me a minute to scroll through there, but no different than using a computer but I at least have the documents and information I can see. What's great about that is you can put tons and tons of information with just paperwork. I have about four inches of military medical files that I digitize and I can read on there if I needed them. So what's great about this for me is I have all this stuff compiled in a very small container, very small space, but I can also read it without the use of a computer. And one nice thing about something like the Nook, which again, many other objects out there you can get, 
but with its simple connections that it has, just going to a USB, I've used it and practiced plugging into portable solar panels, see how long it takes to charge, portable batteries, and it works great. So it works great for me, maybe that works for you. If you're definitely looking for that item, that specific brand, and the first or second generation, I would jump on eBay. I found some there for 30, 40 bucks I picked up. I even got my mom one so we could get all of her stuff organized. But there's other ones to look at, but I would get one that has some sort of micro SD card reader or full size SD card that you can keep in there. Another thing I would look at and consider is how you're storing your hard copies. So just to give an example of what I do with stuff that's definitely more important to me is I have generally two hard copies. I have what I call my working file and my like permanent file. So my permanent file copy is the one I keep stored offsite somewhere that's pretty much 100% or close to it. My working one is the one I update regularly as needed. And then after a while, I will update it digitally, you know, and then figure out the changes I have and update the file copy. Things can change daily, so I'm not just traveling to a storage unit to update my permanent copies. But looking at this last hurricane that came in and the types of natural disasters that might be in your area, one of the things I would consider is the widespread effect of that disaster. So if you're like in Tornado Alley where a lot of tornadoes can come, or let's say you're in a hurricane area where hurricanes come regularly every year, two or three, and they're you know really damaging large portions of the geography, like whole cities and towns. In that instance, if you're going to keep a additional or singular hard copy off-site with a backup digital, however you're going to do it, consider going farther away. So if you're in an area where wildfires hit, tornadoes, hurricanes, massive disasters that could affect entire towns. I wouldn't personally store a hard copy in a safety deposit box in the same town I live. I would find another branch of the same bank or a storage unit in a location several miles away that typically is outside those danger areas so that I don't lose everything. So if I have to leave in minutes and I leave my house and I can't get the hard copies and you know maybe my digital is corrupted and I have nothing, but I'm like, hey, no problem. I got a copy of this in the bank. But the bank's only a mile away and it gets destroyed too. You lose everything. So keep that in mind. Another thing that will help you that I recommend is carrying, if you're carrying, say, a hard drive or more specifically a thumb drive, they come in all different shapes and sizes. You can get some that are encrypted. And a lot of people get ones that they can attach their key ring, which is really great. One thing to consider about that is checking it regularly because you got a key ring. You might drop it on the floor. You're putting it in and out of your pocket. If it doesn't have some sort of cover, those connections can dirty or you can even damage it without even realizing it until months later when you plug it in, it's dead. But if you're carrying an important item like that or extra items on your keychain, what I always recommend people do is get any of those quick disconnect things where you can disconnect the majority of your keys from what's needed to operate the vehicle. A few reasons this is good. One, anywhere you do valet parking. Now, why generally speaking, those people want to keep their jobs, it's not uncommon for things to happen or people steal things or take things, which we don't want. But if you're using valet parking, I would definitely use a valet key if you have it or only leave them the key they need to operate that vehicle. Another reason is I do this if I ever get pulled over, which is happens every once in a while and I recommend to people, if you get pulled over by the police, one of the things I do immediately is disconnect the extra stuff I don't need other than the key to operate the vehicle and I put it in my pocket. Reason being is we have no reason to suspect anything negative will happen. If something goes on to where I get separated from my vehicle, like being arrested or whatever, that vehicle is going to probably get towed. And if you were to get arrested and you have all those extra important items, they become your personal items. And then if for some reason you get jailed, even temporarily, you will get those back. 
Whereas if it gets towed with your vehicle, you could lose them forever or you could have much difficulty getting there, getting in and trying to get them just to give you that portion of their keys. Something else to consider is participating or being around any of these protests or riots that are going on, no matter what city you're in. One of the things that happened recently is a young kid, 17 years old in Wisconsin, I believe, was there, was armed, and had to shoot at three people, killed two of them. Regardless of your thoughts on that, whether or not you like it, that's not what this is for. It's to say this, even if you're armed and you go there, no matter what your purpose is, the best thing you can do is stay in groups. Having one person as a battle buddy is great, but I would go there with a team of people or three or four that can stay together. Three is great if you can all stay together or four that can split into two so that you can watch and be more secure and aware of what's going around you because you have more people paying attention. The larger group of people, the less people are going to pay attention to you or want to mess with you. As long as you're acting like you're supposed to be there and doing whatever you need to do to get through that situation, being in groups is going to be safer. While it's unfortunate what happened to this kid and what he had to do that'll probably affect him the rest of his life, regardless of your thoughts on it, my guess is more than likely if there was three of them standing there that were armed, they probably would not have been initially attacked or been in that situation in the first place. Not saying he's right or wrong or anybody else was right or wrong, but it very likely would have been different if there would have been more people involved. Not saying they couldn't have been surrounded, but I think, man, you know what? If you're carrying a weapon and people are going to come after you, Using what looks like lethal force, it'll probably get somebody who wants to stay alive using lethal force against you with a firearm. Would they really go after somebody that was a group of three or four people, especially if they were armed? Not saying you should be armed. What I am saying is stay together in groups. Something else you need to consider using the earlier story is if you find yourself in these areas in these situations, you have to use some form of public transportation or perhaps just your own transportation, but you can't get any closer and you got to get out on foot. Part of the reason why we have these plans and maps of the areas So just as much as I talked earlier in a podcast about having a map and knowing how to get out of a situation, sometimes you need to know how to get in or through it to do whatever you're doing. Like the guy we talked about earlier had a job to do. What are the other ways you can go? When are the businesses open? Are any of the businesses in an area where they're connected, where you can walk inside and go through a series of businesses, just like a mall, but in inner city areas to get there? What types of transit are available? How often are they running? Are they affected by the ongoing situation? If you're planning to use, say, a bus or some sort of metro system, has it been shut down from that area? Do you know that before you go there? Are cabs going in and out of that area? Are Uber or Lyft drivers? These are the things you want to know beforehand. And you want to know how to get in and out of there safely and how to handle that situation and who you need to bring that up to in case you can't get somewhere because it's not safe. This is all part of route planning, and route planning is not solely about escaping, evading, getting out of a bad situation, or doing detection routes. It's about getting from point A to point B, whatever the reason is. So make sure you look into that and check it out no matter what you're doing. Another thing to consider when you're doing a preparedness plan, and I bring this up because some people have said to me, well, I live in this rural area, I live on a farm, I live in this type of situation, I'm not around this stuff, don't have disasters, not likely I'm going to need this type of plan. And I get that if that's what you choose to do. Whether or not you're in that situation, take a look at the places you visit frequently, whether it's work, the mall, a store, someplace you're visiting at least once a month or more. Those are the places you at least need to have a loose general idea of what you're going to do if something happens. It doesn't matter if it's a disaster, a riot, an active shooter, perhaps just the power goes off and you lose electricity in that portion of the city or town. 
and you don't even have stoplights, what are you going to do and the ways you're going to go, whether on foot or on vehicle, to get from here to there? Another thing I recommend to people is when I was working, I always knew emergency services and law enforcement numbers wherever I was, either in case I needed to report something or report something in order to get them to do things to help me out, even though they didn't know what they were doing. I don't recommend doing that in everyday life, but in that job, that was somewhat of reality. It could happen. I always recommend people know as much about emergency services in their area as possible. If you're really looking at planning routes and having plans and all these different gray man things we talk about and having multiple options, the thing you want to do, you also want to have multiple options to contact people. Don't solely rely on 911. It's the first thing that gets overwhelmed and they don't have an answering service. So aside from 911, make sure you know a few things like what is the emergency and non-emergency local numbers for your law enforcement, your medical clinics or facilities, your paramedics, firefighters, or other law enforcement that might be in your area whether it's Border Patrol, FBI, whoever. What are the state troopers' numbers? What are the sheriff's numbers? Where are the borders of the town you live where you'd have to know whether or not you should be calling the sheriff or the local police department? If you know that, they can save you time. Also find out other ways you can contact them. Most of them have social media or internet pages. Can you file reports or contact them through there? Do they have direct dial numbers where you can dial an extension to get to a more specific place instead of just their general number? That'd be useful information. Do you know what radio frequencies they use and what the laws are for you to use that in an emergency? Or if you don't have a communication device to speak on those radio frequencies, what about having, say, just a scanner? Even with the scanner, if you know what frequencies to go to to listen to, say, law enforcement or emergency services of some type, and let's say you're in or witness a car wreck and you have that scanner, you could potentially hear them talking to determine how close they really are. That's a lot of different things that people do, so just make sure you check that out find out when you're filling out that local contact information, how many different possible ways are they to talk to those people? And if you can find those out, even if you don't have the ability to do it, still write that information down because somebody else might have it. Another thing to consider is using situational awareness, which I first entitled predicting the future and logical things that make sense. So no matter where you stand on these issues, we're seeing a lot more, at least consistent rioting, looting, connected to what may be actual protests in some location. More violence, more death, more graphic violence, more people, civilians getting involved. So it is maintained for months and is slowly escalating. There's every reason to believe that as we get closer to the election cycle, this will ramp up. Take, for example, one thing I foresee is happening in some areas. It's very likely we're going to have many public polling places. And despite how people feel about that, there's going to be people that show up. What happens... When there's a bunch of people there rioting or protesting, causing a problem because you choose to go vote in person because they don't like the idea that you can do that, regardless of how ludicrous it may be or how much sense it may make to you. One thing to consider is that the events that are happening, if they haven't affected you, may very well affect you even on the polling day, even when it comes to the election. But I would expect these things to maintain, if not increase, till then. Don't know what's going to happen after the election. But one thing to keep in mind is we've learned anything in the last two and a half months or longer, this isn't going anywhere. Not enough is happening to make the madness stop and it is spreading and becoming more violent. Keep that in mind when it comes closer to election day, no matter what you're doing or where you're going, that it could possibly affect you even if you don't realize it, no matter how small your town is. One of the reasons I like to talk about this, especially going to National Preparedness Month, is 
how it really works for the gray man. A gray man really boils down to somebody that thrives on always knowing, which is really an impossible task, but definitely a goal you can chase. When it comes to things like body language, what are they doing? What are they thinking? Are they getting agitated? How do I have this argument or discussion with them? How do I persuade and influence them to get what I want or control a conversation? When we have sources and assets, how do I get this guy talking? How do I get him to do A, B, and C for me? What is his motivation? How do I properly reward him? When do I tell him this? When do I tell him that? And how does it benefit me? Because that's part of the mission. In the same way, if you look at times of things like evacuations plans, you're looking to have as many of these answers as possible. You're not sitting there thinking, well, the hurricane's coming. Maybe it hits me. Maybe it don't. I know it's supposed to be somewhere near my state. And then at the last minute, which I would consider the last minute when they say, hey, I think you should evacuate. And you're like, yeah, I think I will. If I was in anywhere near Louisiana and Texas where they were pretty sure it was going to come in long before they talked evacuation, I would have already found locations called ahead and probably three or more locations and booked rooms. Places that I could get to, especially if they were less likely to have people get there early, and places that I could cancel, at least a day in advance, without any negative financial effect on me, which there's plenty of options out there to ensure those rooms are booked so that when the migration starts, I don't have to worry about a place to go. And it's a good plan to have. So it's always knowing, it's always thinking ahead, being situationally aware. Situational awareness is about what's going on now and what's going to happen next. That's why I call it a way to predict the future. It's analyzing trends and patterns, whether they're ongoing or it's just some intel guy in the background looking at thousands of pages of documents and intelligence to try to figure out what's the next possible, most likely outcome. That's all it's really about, chasing down the idea of always knowing. So no matter what you're doing or how you think about it, my final thought really is that preparedness is for everybody. It just depends on how it applies to you. And it's about the unknowns, the possible things that could happen that are unknown if they will. Those disasters, road closures, Something happens in the country somewhere you're not aware of and riots break out everywhere. Ongoing known situations like looting, protesting, and rioting. Major events that tend to have developed trends historically or at least lately to cause some sort of disruption. Anytime people are running for president or any large heavy office and they do speeches, tends to be a lot of protesters and sometimes things get out of hand and sometimes they get very out of hand. It's about knowing and understanding what are the most likely response times for anything you might need to assist you that's most likely going to be emergency services. It's about realizing and understanding how much travels part of your job, how many ways around you know who can assist you. Do you have GPS? Do you have the maps? Do you have the resources that you need in case something happens that cause your route to be effective? If you're going to stay in a hotel just during regular leisure travel, how many other places are available in case something happens? Or did you in fact book more than one place just in case they're overbooked? It's about determining how to read people well enough that when you pull in the grocery store parking lot and look around, you can actually see that for some reason it just might be a bad idea to go pick up some vegetables today. And you turn around and come back tomorrow or go to another location. To me, all preparedness is, is steps that you take in order to react as calmly and appropriately as possible to any unforeseen situation, especially if it's traumatic or devastating to you or your loved ones or anything that could affect your life. That's what it is to me. So check out the show note links. Check out the other podcast, Disagreeable Thoughts and Philosophies of DMR Publications. I do got a link in there for information in today's episode that has that ready.gov link. That will be out tomorrow. 
that I'll have pinned to the top for September 1st for National Preparedness Month, which we'll be putting some information out. I do want to let you know I've received a few questions, even one today. I'm glad I got it because I keep forgetting to ask. People ask me, when are you going to do another YouTube show? I always respond with two words, not sure. I have talked about that with some people, discussing the possibilities of taking groups of shows or time periods of a couple of weeks and covering those recent shows because of individuals that listen to the show more than once, take notes, have questions, have other ideas. That's something I'm looking into doing. Not sure when I'm going to be back in full swing because I've been pretty busy. So I really am not sure, but I've definitely been wanting to get back into that. I just haven't done it except for one show early on. So it's being looked into, but definitely shoot me your questions. As always, if the question is something that's going to require me to do a whole podcast on it, I will let you know and send you a book. We already sent our first one out. He got a few days ago. So thank you for listening. We look forward to bringing you some more information here soon on Gray Man, Hiding in Plain Sight.